This is the Shift Podcast. Are you smarter than Canada's smartest 15-year-old? Probably not this one. Mateus Soto joins the show to share his experience winning Canada's Smartest Person Junior and what it's like to be a proud nerd. He also dives into Big Brain Academy Brain vs. Brain, a new video game from Nintendo that has you going up against your friends in challenges for your brain. According to Greg Fish, your conspiracy-addicted friends were right. Greg Fish dives into the world of long-termism and how some world elites fell into it. How does this impact you and how crazy is it? We'll get into that. Plus, are you okay with downsizing? This is The Shift Podcast. Are you okay? Are you okay with downsizing? Uh... Don't like downsize that. out of your microphone now. Yeah, whoops. Oh, I, uh, I don't know what <laughs> happened there. We're still going to need that moving forward. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yes, I, I downsized. I did uh, to my apartment. However, I thought I could make the tiny, tiny space work, um, but I'm slowly losing my mind. Like, I was trying to do laundry today, and uh, yeah, I can't even open my closet door without having to, like, loop and duck underneath my bunk bed. Right. And it, like, sacrifices to live in an amazing neighborhood but i don't need uh, you know when i was younger i thought i'll get a nice big house in the suburbs now i kind of just want a small tiny little old home in a nice neighborhood yeah so i think there's a sweet spot for everyone i totally agree Uh, i'm gonna take a guess brendan kelly you're okay with it Oh, yeah. I very much enjoy getting rid of stuff now that I, I don't need. I used to be a pretty bad hoarder uh, of of things. But uh, no, over the last couple of years, you know, it's, it's something therapeutic about throwing away stuff that you don't need anymore. hundred percent. Absolutely. Uh, d- did you watch Marie Kondo? No, I did not. I see that mentioned a lot. Mm-hmm. But uh, isn't it something like where you just hold on to something and, and see if it has inherent value to yeah. you or something like that? Uh, yeah. Well, Marie Kondo is kind of like the buzz, the buzzy one. She had her Netflix show and stuff. But there's a documentary uh, called The Minimalists. Have you guys heard of The Minimalists? They have a podcast. Mm-hmm. It's it's two guys, two young guys who they ended. They did like a book tour and stuff. And there was a documentary that they did. It might be on YouTube. I'll, I'll try and find out. But uh, they were way less um, woo woo, if I can use that term, than Marie Kondo. And my wife and I watched the the documentary. And afterwards, we were like, we got to get rid of all this stuff. And it was just <laughs> such a positive spin and such like a your life is happier when you have less things to distract you. And they went all over uh, the country. Well, this is in the States. They went all over the country and talked to all sorts of people about how they made it work in these tiny homes, the tiny home thing. It's all over the place. Uh, Downsizing, uh, like I'm with it. I totally think it's a great thing. For so long, we've been living in these huge places uh, that we don't need and the Western world in so many ways, and I understand that this is fully like – interpret it can be interpreted the wrong way, but like we're living in excess, you know, and we don't necessarily need to be the rest of the world. Doesn't always live like that. We're privileged. Anyway, moving on, moving on. Many families sold their homes and downsized during the pandemic and more are starting to see that less 
can be more. But this place might be a bit too small. And as a reminder, this is written by a guy who works under his bed. That is Ryan O'Donnell. If you're not familiar, he's mm-hmm. under his bed right now. Uh, this home is located in the only place on earth where a tiny apartment would actually look amazing. That's Japan. All right, what did what did what did we just listen to? Uh, that is an ad that uh, this company put together to advertise uh, their their uh, this apartment. And it's like a shark, and he's supposed to be kind of like a TV lawyer uh, <laughs> saying, "Call me now." Except the Japanese do that, which is I'm all for it, man. I Japanese so, ads are bonkers. That's that's the TV ad for this 107 square foot apartment in Tokyo. Here's the catch: your landlord, if you want to move into this apartment, will be IKEA. Yes, IKEA. Here's more from News 77 Boston. Less than a dollar. That's all you need to rent this apartment in Tokyo, Japan. Furniture giant IKEA opening up applications for a 107 square foot apartment for 86 cents per month. There's only one unit available, but it comes fully furnished. You're just responsible for paying utilities. The company is accepting applications from anyone 20 years and older. The company is a joint venture, Bocklock, with Swedish construction company Skanska, which has built affordable modular homes in Sweden, Finland, and Norway. In 2019, Bocklock launched a new style of home for dementia patients designed to let them continue living at home. Design tweaks include taking mirrors out of bathrooms and fitting kitchen appliances with old-fashioned knobs rather than digital controls. That is super cool, but let's go Neat. back. Sorry? Neat. 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 Yes. Neat. Good Neat. word. Neat. Yeah. Uh, 107 square feet. Could you guys do it? Uh, I bet my room, this room. Well, uh, a good thing about the Ikea one, just for some painting the picture, is that it's very narrow, but it's tall. Right. So there's ladders up to the bed, much like this, but there's space for a couch and a TV, a tiny little kitchen, and it's very smart with how it's laid out. This particular design, if I could live for a dollar a month, if I could do that for a year, the amount of money I could save and set me up to the point where I could, you know, get something bigger, bigger or better, absolutely. But for like what rent prices are like in Tokyo on average, which is very high, even in Calgary too, anywhere in Canada these days. Totally. Uh, no, not for that much. Brandon Kelly. Oh yeah, I'm pretty adaptable. I could, uh, I could uh, figure it out. I think so it. too, yeah. man. Yeah, I could do yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I do. I totally think that I could live in 107 square feet. Like different if you have kids, but I actually think that even my wife and I together could live in a hundred, 107 square feet, like a 10 by 10 room. Especially if, like you say, it's quite tall and you have opportunities to uh, use that space above you. But it makes you be creative and it makes you uh, go outside more and explore 
explore your neighborhood and your community. And I think that they can actually make them quite stylish and functional. And uh, there, there are ways. It wouldn't work for everybody, but I think that there are ways and that you can, you know, I love that in Japan they're like crafting cities this way with, I mean, they're not all 107 square feet, but these small places uh, so they can fit more people in. I'd rather have a small place in a cool neighborhood than a big place out in the middle of nowhere, much like Ryan O'Donnell. Well, that's uh, all the rage here in uh, Vancouver. I mean, there's some neighborhoods like down in Gastown, you get a little micro suite. Uh, right. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Paying the huge rents down in Gastown, you can pay sort of big rents for, <laughs> for a little micro I was going to say, oh, I man. think the rents for them are still pretty insane. They're still pretty high. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is Vancouver. Okay. Are you okay? All right. We should probably set the scene with some music here. Special song. Maybe some uh, Pass the Duchy by Musical Youth, something like that. Do we have it? Oh, I didn't do we see have it? it? Yeah, I, I can get it. Yeah. This is my bad. I probably should have told the guy who can do all the music that yeah. he, that I thought yeah. we should do this. Clearly, I was more thinking about the pot itself and yes. not so much the music. I was going to yeah. say, shockingly, the story about the edibles. Are we? Are you okay with edibles? The story about the edibles comes from the guy that does the edibles. There it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you know, blanked on putting past the duchy yeah. in. I, I just want to say, I don't know how many edibles you may be in so far tonight, uh, Ryan, but I, I can't uh, I can't read your mind yet. No, no. <laughs> Maybe if I take some more, I'll be able yeah, to read other people as well. Okay. That'd be cool. But are you um, okay with edibles? Uh, wild shot in the dark here, Ryan O'Donnell. Yes. <laughs> well, originally, I was a no-go. The first time I ever took an edible uh, was also the first time I ever tried weed and it took me 45 minutes to eat one slice of pizza this happened after hugging the delivery driver because i would have it in my hand and forget about it and then look down and go oh my god pizza and take a bite (laughs) and forget about it uh so i stayed away and then eventually after i kind of got sick of smoking and i didn't really enjoy the high very much uh, my friends tried hey do a balanced thing with cbd and an edible and it was great I, i find it uh, excellent if i want to do that every now and then uh not on a work night just want to clarify certainly not, <laughs> certainly not. uh dj bk edibles uh, no i i got too anxious i mean you know i made that classic mistake the only time i've ever indulged in an edible years ago um yeah, I did that thing where it was a cookie and I ate a little bit and was like, this isn't doing anything. Right. So then I ate the whole mm-hmm. cookie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and then then it really kicked in. Um, <laughs> then I had trouble being vertical. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> I had trouble with a lot of things, and it lasted for a long time. So much so that, uh, you know, edibles, not so much for me. But right. right. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. My peer group, the people that I sort of uh, uh, cross social circles with, a lot of edibles, a lot of edibles going around, a lot of, mm-hmm. hey, we're going to have a, a, you know, a sit down dinner at an apartment instead of going to the nightclub and we'll just each do half an edible and then we'll all have a really good time at a sit down dinner. That's what I feel like people do for fun in, in my sort of circle. Uh, edibles are like the preferred that. way for many to enjoy cannabis. They're known for having an unpredictable high and for being a much more tasty way to get baked. But the last thing you want is to accidentally eat too many pot brownies or in this case, just one pot brownie. Happy National Pot Brownie Day. The world's largest pot brownie has just been unveiled in the great state of Massachusetts. 
Massachusetts-based Maramed celebrated the launch of their new brand, Bubby's Baked, with a ginormous THC-infused brownie. The brownie measures 3 feet by 3 feet and is 15 inches tall. It weighs a staggering 850 pounds and contains 20,000 grams of THC, according to the confectioners. Oh, that's insane. That's insane. It Uh, took a team of five cannabis (laughs) confectioners 24 hours to make the brownie. Uh, for a comparison that has 20,000 grams of uh, of uh, THC my the stuff I usually have or milligrams was it grams or milligrams 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 that makes more sense Uh, the stuff I usually have uh, two and a half right not thousand yeah just want to clarify yeah yeah but this one you know they feel like it's going to feed a lot of people and this is actually a really cool angle uh to this story the company that made it uh they plan to sell the giant brownie to a medical marijuana patient in massachusetts so uh hopefully some relief and uh, delicious tasting relief a lot of by the relief. way as well uh just for the record uh, i don't necessarily need thc in it i would take just the 850 pound brownie on its own Damn straight. Delicious treat, (laughs) right? Insert Ryan, the clip from The Simpsons where Homer says, Paul McCartney, where did you get that brownie? You haven't oh, seen that yeah. one? That's a good one. This is yeah. fast becoming one of my favorite things to do here, Nights, is to insert Simpsons clips that we should have, yeah. right? I don't know. Maybe I should tell you. I mean, it's funny because in the moment, and usually, Ryan, you have so many Simpsons clips, and I'm like, yes, I love that clip. I love that you know it. But there's a scene where Homer meets Paul McCartney, and all he cares about is that Paul McCartney has a delicious-looking brownie in his hand. Are you okay? Are you okay with curling? Yeah. Curling's curling's chill, literally, because it's cold. Uh Uh-huh. Um, it's not, it's, it's, it's good. I like, I like curling. I, I think curling is something and I, I, I'm, I mean this in a good way. I think curling is something I'm going to do when I'm, a, when I'm older. Okay. I feel like it's a really fun sport that you can kind of do at any age. Uh, and I think I'll really, I like, I feel like the curling clubs and all that seem like a cool community. And also I enjoy watching curling at, during the Olympics. Okay. Brendan Kelly, curling. I tried curling. I uh, had curling lessons or something in high school. Uh, I went on a curling field trip to the curling place in St. Catharines. Um, however, uh, it's difficult. It's, a, it's actually quite difficult um, to, especially when you're the, the, I forget the curling t- terminology, but when you're the, the rock thrower person. Right. <laughs> That's actually pretty difficult. Um, There's a lot of subtlety involved in it because it can it can go way off and out of your curling lane and into several other curling lanes. Then the curling man at this place gets very mad when you do that. (laughs) This is very similar to my experience with curling. Uh, Ryan, you hit on some very positive, very awesome things about curling. A, the curling clubs. B, the drinking. That's a fun part of, part of curling. I've only done it once, but my friend had a flask of scotch in his pocket. That made the night bearable. But the actual act of curling, I realized, like you, Brendan, is way harder than they make it out to be. Way harder. It's essentially this, this move of throwing the stone. That's, I, it's called, I believe it's called the stone. I don't know what that person's, that, the title of that person is, yeah. like you said, Brendan. 
but the the nuance to get it where you want it to go is so specific. It's so specific. And then if you're one of the people who has to sweep, like that's really, really hard work. And you have to sweep. Uh, like I, I just didn't feel that the people that I was curling with were anywhere near the level of accurate throwing the stone that the sweeping made a darn bit of difference. It didn't make any difference at all. And it's so much work and effort. I just, I was like, I'll be over there drinking. You know what? It's kind of like golf. And I don't want to take anything away from the people who love golf because, hey, do you, friend. But I say to my friends all the time when they're like, you want to come golfing? This is what I say. I'm like, I'll drive the cart for you. I would love to drive the golf cart, drink beer, be social, stand around in the sunshine. But when it comes to like hitting the ball and like chasing it all over and trying to get it in all of that, I don't need to do that. I'll just come, I'll, I'll come for the fellowship. How does that sound? So I'm terrible at it, uh, but internationally, Canadians are damn good at curling. Just take a look back at how we dominated at the 2014 Sochi Olympics. To curling now, where no country has ever taken charge at the Olympics as Canada has done at these games. The first time any country in the modern era has won both curling gold medals. Tonight, Brad Jacobs and his Sault Ste. Marie rink crushed Britain 9-3 for the gold. It's as convincing a win as we've ever seen in the men's final, ever. It's a Canadian sport, really. Uh, it's, I, you know, we work hard at this. We, uh, we're in the gym all the time. We're at the rink all the time practicing, and we're just a very determined group of guys with uh, huge killer instinct. Killer instinct indeed. After losing two of his first three games in the tournament, Jacob's rink ran off eight straight wins. Coupled with Jennifer Jones' 11 straight to take the women's title yesterday, the two Canadian rinks won 19 games in a row. Unheard of in Olympic curling till Jones and Jacobs ran the table. We've always known and we're always going to say it, curling is Canada's game. It's Canada's sport. And there's no debating that after this Olympic Games. It certainly is Canada's sport and we do do very, very well with it. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you feeling smart? Are you smarter than a 15-year-old? I think I am, but then I stop and I try to like humble myself and I'm not so sure. Uh, We're going to try to find out how smart we are and if we are in fact smarter than a 15-year-old, but I doubt we're smarter than this one. Canada's smartest 15-year-old is Mateus Soto. He won Canada's smartest person junior, and he is with us tonight to talk about that experience. Thanks for being here, Mateus. Thank you for having me. So, okay, right out of the gate, tell me about your experience on this show and how it has like changed your life. Is everybody coming to you for, you know, world advice and offering you spots on Jeopardy and what, like, what's, <laughs> what's, what's your life like these days? Um, I, I, it's not quite as glamorous as you may uh, presume. I'm just uh, trying my best to live as, as casual a life as possible but it's uh, it's pretty crazy to think that uh, something I did back in 2018 is uh, still following me around. But it was a great experience all around. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, let's dive into the experience a little more. What what was that whole thing like for you? Um, it was just very new to me. We never really signed up with any expectations of actually winning at the end. But um, I think we went in with the expectation of don't get eliminated in the first round. Uh-huh. Um, 
And so we just sort of carried that, okay, so we just don't want to get eliminated the next time, the next time, the next time, until it ended up uh, getting us the top spot. Okay. Very cool. I like that as you sort of take it like step-by-step approach and Mm -hmm. stuff. Right. Um, Let me ask you about this. I'm looking on your Wikipedia page here and uh, you say you're a self-proclaimed nerd. Do you agree with that? I think that's accurate. I'd say that still tracks. Okay. Awesome. I would say that of myself as well. I feel like I'm a self-proclaimed nerd. So uh, do you agree with this idea that like nerd is the new jock and we have the cool thing going for us because you strike me as a very easygoing, very cool, very like, Hey, this is who I am. And, you know, and I think that's the coolest thing a person can do. Right. I like, essentially, I love the idea that the stigma around nerd has, uh, it's, it's less uh, negative and it's more sort of like, hey, this is cool and we own it type of thing, right? Yeah, I never really got it as a negative thing. Maybe that's just from my own uh, personal upbringing or how my brain works. And so I sort of took on that mantle and I'm very much a believer in just be yourself. And so uh, I'm glad that it's lost uh, most of its uh, negative connotation and people are more free to just be these days. Hundred percent, man. I couldn't agree with you more, and I love that. And I also love to hear. Uh, forgive me for calling you this a young person. Uh, I'm forty, <laughs> uh, but I love to hear a young person like own that because that's a thing that I think a lot of young people can struggle with is um, those sort of labels and stigmas and stuff. So, man, that's mm-hmm. very, very cool to see. Um, so, out of all of this, you have kind of been given this really, really cool opportunity with Nintendo. Tell us about that. Yes, I am uh, the spokesperson for Big Brain Academy Brain versus Brain for the Nintendo Switch. It uh, came out December 3rd, um, and it's just a really fun game. So how, like, how does it work? Is it a chance for you to do uh, some trivia, or is there like puzzle solving? Like, And when you say brain versus brain, do you play against somebody? Uh, tell me all about that. Well, much like uh, the show, it is all brain power. Okay. Uh, Big Brain Academy Brain versus Brain is a multiplayer party game where you can go head to head or brain to brain against uh, friends, family and people from all across the world in tons of fun mini games that challenge your wits, reflexes and smarts. The Nintendo thing, is that something that you grew up doing? Like, how cool is it to, for you to be an ambassador for them? Very much so. I always um, I, I grew up on uh, all sorts of video games. Uh, with one of my first consoles being the Wii. Okay. And I definitely played uh, maybe more games than I should have back then. Oh, and dude. It's I, re- <laughs> I feel it's really you, man. To get yeah, of course. And I mean, Nintendo, the, like my nephew has a Switch and he is just so all about it. And he's actually got uh, other family members into it. And every time we mm-hmm. go to their house now, everybody's like jumping on the Switch and fighting for a turn and stuff. It's super cool. But I actually grew up on like the original nintendo entertainment system and i know i'm dating myself here but like (laughs) when super nintendo came out after the original nintendo that was the thing that i was hoping to get for christmas have you have you done the classic gaming thing at all um in terms of classic games i've uh i don't really have that many uh consoles or old consoles at all i'd say my oldest one is a game boy advanced sp okay um but I do like to play around with the emulators on the Switch. Right. Yeah, yeah. Great. See, my worry is because I've tried to stay with gaming and I've talked to some other people about this too. I've tried to like download and play newer games like uh, Fallout and and The Last of Us and that type of thing. And I'm just 
it's so difficult compared to the stuff that I'm used to compared to like this just traditional side scroller, shoot them up, you know, sort of straightforward racing games and stuff. So a, I think you guys, the gaming world for people your age is so much. So first of all, it's so much better. You have so many more options mm-hmm. and technology has advanced and stuff, but it's also just that much that much more difficult, you know? So that's, mm. that's really cool for you. Um, so what's next for you? That's a very broad question. Yeah. Um, interpret, I, interpret it any way you see fit. Where, where do you want to go from here? I mean, s- school, uh, you know, are you going to uh, write video games, work in video games? Like, I mean, I made a joke about it at the beginning, but like, is Jeopardy something that's on your radar? Like talk, you know, other stuff. Talk to me about that. Uh, when it comes to stuff in the future, I'm probably going to go into the field of robotics engineering. Okay. It's always been a big interest of mine. But um, I'm no prophet, so we can only see uh, what the future holds when we get there. Yeah. And uh, like, forgive me if I'm like overstepping, but do you get asked that type of question all the time? And is it just like, hey, man, let me live my life. I'm a teenager. I'm just enjoying this right now. Mm -hmm. I get asked to think about what I'm going to do in the in the future a lot. And uh, I uh, don't have as much of an idea as I think people expect me to have. Yeah. And you know what, man, I think that's okay. I think that's totally okay. I think whatever you end up doing will probably be an outstanding success based on what we've seen so far. But uh, yeah, man, I wish you all of the luck in the world. It's Mateus Soto from Canada's Smartest Person Junior and a representative for Nintendo and the Nintendo Switch. Thanks so much for joining us, man. Really great to talk to you. I wish you all the best. Thank you. You too. That's Mateus Soto. Very cool opportunity to chat with him, doing some fun stuff with the Nintendo and, of course, winning Canada's Smartest Person Junior. So we didn't really face off in trivia, and I'm glad we didn't because I feel like Mateus would have schooled us all. Mm -hmm. But let's see if the rest of us are as smart as a 15-year-old. show time nice ryan has a list of trivia questions that most 15 year olds could answer so if you want to call in and enjoy and join us in the game absolutely uh now uh it's it's time for some trivia we love trivia i'm so excited to do this i I really want you to call in so that i can ask you some questions Uh, i will be asking the questions because we have already established that I am not smarter than Mateus. As I was typing out the description of this interview, instead of writing smartest, I wrote smarties. So (laughs) for that reason, I will be your MC for this particular competition. So I think we could start with Scott and Brendan. You guys are about the same age. You grew up in a similar time. Uh, So I think, you know, these questions... I think what like we can experiment. We could try this here. Oh, I mean, I'm very into this. I just want you both awesome. to know I can get extremely competitive. I'm a okay, gracious good. loser, but I'm extremely competitive. Brendan, how do you feel going uh, into this? I'm very easy going, but I do read a lot of books. <laughs> I do read okay. a lot of books. I'm just like so. I'm wanting Brendan to get into this and make this an actual battle. He's like, yeah. I mean, you know, okay, it's fine. It's fine. I, well, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. So th- these trivia questions are pretty general, but I, I'm, we're, I'll start some easy. But first, let's just go through the rules. So I will ask the question. I will take a look at the the Zoom chat. Whoever puts their hand up first with the answer gets to answer first. If you are incorrect, 
you will hear this. It's pretty negative, so that means okay. you're wrong. Okay. And if you are correct, you hear this. Okay. Wow. Isn't that isn't that yeah. lovely? Completely isn't that studio fantastic? audience. Yeah. Yes, I yes I fabricated okay. a studio audience. And okay. also because it's really important to me, who's going to keep score? Uh, one lucky listener volunteer. No, it's okay. I'll just make a little note here. Okay. Because it's really important to me that if I win, yeah. Ryan, I want to know. Like, I want to know what the score is. I'm not one of these people you who's do. like, eh, we're not going to keep score. We don't care who really wins or loses. I'm not like that. I want to know. Okay. 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 All right. Are you guys ready for the first question? So ready. I'm so, so psyched. Ready. So psyched. Okay. What is the rarest blood type? Scott! Me, Scooter, Scott. <laughs> wow. What is it? O negative. That is incorrect. Mm. What? It is not O negative. Ooh. Brendan, do you have a rebuttal? Oh, have is this like me for the steel? The, the technical producers for the steel. Ah, uh, the rarest br- blood type is, I don't know, D, D, D E, <laughs> F, G, H. Uh, As you could imagine. That's incorrect. Yeah, I figured as much. <laughs> the correct answer is A, B, negative. Okay. I don't think I've ever even heard that. Okay, before. just 1% of donors apparently have it. Yes, yes, okay. very rare. Okay. So far, no one on this show is smarter no, than no. a 15-year-old. <laughs> no, not even close. All right, bring it. Okay. Give me another one. Bring it. All right. How many hearts do worms have? Scott. Go ahead. Two. Wrong. Ugh. Wrong. Brendan? Uh, I'm going to say that a worm doesn't have a heart. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, worms do have hearts. They have Why? five hearts. What? Why are I don't think I learned that in school. Why are these all biology related? I'm just, I've got categories here. <laughs> okay. Right, okay. Let's uh, let's do a sports one. Oh, yeah. Okay. 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 Which is the only sport to have ever been played on the moon? Scott. Go ahead, Scott. Golf. Yeah, it's golf. That is correct. Yes. We have our first correct. Yes. Brilliant. That's one. Um, just five, yes. just really quickly, I, can we check what the score is? It is one nil. <laughs> Although if I was I going by wrong answers, mm-hmm. uh, I'd be subtracting negatives. So okay. you're just oh, like in Jeopardy, off. like you have to risk the question, right? No, like Jeopardy. I won't be that mean. Okay. I won't be that mean. Okay. I think that's fire. Okay. All right. Uh, let's. Uh, okay. Here's one. This is a great one. Uh, easy peasy. Okay. Name Canada's national sport. I. I <laughs> me. <sighs> Well, Bre- Brendan was definitely first there. Yeah, isn't it lacrosse? It is lacrosse. Mm, lacrosse good. is a super badass sport, by the yeah. way. It's, it's super uh, badass. One of the most entertaining sports to watch live. It is like, it's amazing. It's yeah. chaos. And they I throw it down. It. Yeah. One of my friends actually got drafted into the NLL this year and is playing with the Albany Firewolves. Sweet. Fact. Sweet. Yeah. All right, back to the trivia. Okay. Which was the very first feature-length animated movie to ever be released? Uh, Scott. Scott. Fantasia. 
Ooh, no. Good guess. Oh. Good guess. <clears throat> Brendan? Uh, uh, the, the cat in the mouse one. I don't know. Oh, Tom and Jerry. <laughs> Ste- no, Steambo- Steamboat Willie. Steamboat no, Willie. It, yeah. No, that's not a feature length. Oh, yeah. That's okay. not feature length. Okay. The correct answer is Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Come on, guys. I don't watch oh. things. Yeah. I, yeah okay. <laughs> okay. Give us some literary questions for Brendan. Yeah. You want some literary questions? Or, or music. Do some music. music. Let's do some music questions. Okay. okay. 80s music. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, actually, let's start at like the beginning of time music. Okay. Oh. Name the Greek god of music. Uh, History. Uh, Come on. 15-year-olds would be studying and learning this right now. Seriously? I don't think I had any of these questions in grade 15-year-old. I don't. I don't think I did. Uh, Scott, I'm going to say uh, uh, Apollo. That is correct. Yeah, you know what? It just came to me. The Apollo yeah. Theater. The Apollo Theater. That makes perfect sense. Oh, uh, I'm smart. Good. Very good. Okay. Okay. Which famous music group was formerly known as the New Yardbirds? Scott. Scott. That would very obviously and definitely be Led Zeppelin. That is very much correct. Maybe that's not maybe that's not obvious. I said that's very obviously and definitely. Maybe that's not obvious. Did you know that one, Brendan? I did know that yeah, one. Yeah, of course. Uh, people, Zepp, like anyone who's a Zeppelin fan, huge Zeppelin fan, Jimmy Page played in the Yardbirds before playing for Led Zeppelin. He's a guitar player for uh, Zepp, and he, uh, when he left the Yardbirds, uh, formed the new Yardbirds, which went on to become Zepp. I, did, I, I didn't know that. That's pretty neat. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how about, let, let's do some history here. This is the stuff that I would be good at, but even I didn't know this one, so I'm curious. Name the first country to use postcards. Seriously? This is this is like 15-year-old trivia? Mm-hmm. America. Nope. Nope. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, well, I was throwing a guess. Uh, let's go with uh, Greece. It was Australia, which is interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, I guess they're so far away. They they had to develop some way to get their messages out. Okay. Right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. How about uh, how about this one? New York City was originally known by which name? Um, uh, Scott. New Scott. New London. Oh, you were so new. New close. England, New England, no, no, New Paris, no, New Amsterdam. Is it New? There England? it is. <sighs> it's new Amsterdam. Yes, the Dutch owned that land and sold it. I'm sorry. I'm t- yes. I'm totally like running all. Of- Brendan's just like I don't care. He's like whatever. Uh, I'm not really that competitive. I just like. He's just oh, no. enjoying yeah. pushing the buttons. I like pushing okay. the buttons here. What should we do? Should what? we do like two more? Should we do like two yeah, we more? Got, yeah. Okay, we got okay, time. This is should this we, we can do more. Easy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. okay. Which famous painter was also an architect, an engineer, and a sculptor? Scott. Michelangelo. <laughs> no. What? No, mm, not at all. Seriously. Uh, Brendan? Da Vinci. That is uh, correct. 
That is correct. Yes. But Leonardo wait, da Vinci. Like, was Michelangelo not also a sculptor? The David? Yeah, but he wasn't an engineer. Ah, uh, okay. He okay. just painted it. Okay. Yeah. So okay. you were close. Okay. You were very close. Okay. Uh, ooh, let's do some food ones. Yeah, okay. food ones. Wh- what is, or which is, I guess, the most expensive spice in the world? Uh, Scott. <laughs> Scott. <laughs> no, saffron. That is correct. Yes. Very good. All right, let's. Uh, let's Can you do tell one how more. excited I am about this? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm not. Be- I'm not showing you guys my best self right now. <laughs> yeah, it's completely frozen. I'm gonna think ahead. Okay, um, let's do something that I know lots of facts about. Okay, um, what year did World War II start? Uh, Brendan. Uh, Brendan. 1939? Yes, you could argue earlier if you think about Japan, but generally, yes, 1939. Wouldn't have got that. Wouldn't have got that. Finally, okay, because we're so close to the... It's actually, it's already happened. How many nights is Hanukkah celebrated? Scott. Robert. Eight. (laughs) I'm going to give that both to you. (laughs) I only know it from the Adam Sandler song. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. This is the Shift Podcast. It's time for the World of Weird Things with Greg Fish. Welcome Welcome to the World of Weird Things with Greg Fish. Uh, great to meet you, Greg. Uh, this is the first time that you and I have gotten to talk, but uh, I've been doing some research and stuff around your website, and I feel like uh, I want to. I have I have many questions. I want to sit and uh, drink a beer with you and have my world rocked and my faith in humanity completely destroyed. Okay, yeah, that that seems about right. That that seems about on par for the kind of content that I produce. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm reading uh, this story on uh, worldofweirdthings.com, the bizarre do-nothing religion of Earth's oligarchs. And we can unpack this a little bit, but let's start with a question that I have. Maybe just define uh, for me and for us, because this is all like very new and very mind-blowing to me. Tell me what long-termism is. So long-termism is kind of a pseudo-religion slash pseudo-philosophy invented by philosopher Nick Bostrom, who has a very interesting um, view of computer science, meaning he very much enjoys talking about computers and what computers can do, but he doesn't actually want to learn or care about how computers actually work. Uh, So he produces these of fantastical works where he kind of takes current ideas about where technology can go to the lengths of science fiction and then kind of turns around and presents them as fact. Um, and long-term is, is, long-term is is one of the offshoots for that. And essentially, it posits two very important things. Thing number one, in the far, far future, there will be basically more humans and human-like entities or human type entities than stars in the night sky or actually possibly stars in the galaxy. And that anything that we do on our current scale is going to be completely immaterial when projected 
that far into the future because, well, he doesn't really explain why, but it's very convenient because if you take him in his word, since there's going to be so many living things later and all of the problems are going to be anything short of literal apocalypse is going to be solved, you don't actually have to do anything. You can just sit back and relax and watch the world progress. As long as the GDP is high and our factories are turning out stuff, then everything will be ultimately good. Right. Okay. So I think I understand. But my first observation, this sounds to me very L. Ron Hubbard. Yeah, you know, possibly, maybe. I'm not I'm not really picking up on that a lot because there's not that that searing hatred for, you know, mainstream Fair. Okay, fair enough. Just the idea of, uh, you know, science fiction blended with reality, blended with uh, religion, blended with uh, uh, we're all going to be saved in the end, fanaticism, some of that. I I agree with you on some of the – uh, some of the hatred to, and and fine line type stuff there, but essentially, so I want to make sure I've got this right. The idea he's essentially saying that, hey, eventually, like all our brains are going to be uploaded to the mainframe, and and like we're not going to need to worry about the planet Earth because we will have progressed into a state where we no longer need the things that Earth provides to sustain us. That's. Yeah, that's partially it. And the other big part of it is because ultimately anything short of an apocalypse, as long as we can produce enough stuff, we can work our work and work our way out of. If you are the kind of person who has a lot of money and a lot of power and a lot of influence, you don't actually need to do anything. You just get to sit back and enjoy the show because someone else is going to figure it out for you. It's sort of like the bystander effect but taken to a ridiculous extreme. Okay. For those who might not be familiar, I'm talking about myself, uh, explain the bystander effect. So the bystander effect, it was popularized um, in a story about a crime, and a lot of it uh, has kind of been exaggerated out of proportion. Uh, But the bystander effect is actually a very real thing that psychologists study, and that is in a very tense or in a very chaotic situation, People don't necessarily know what to do, and with no guidance, with no direction, with no training, they sort of wait for somebody else to resolve the problem, someone who has authority, someone who has practice, someone who has training. They're kind of waiting to be told what to do, and if they don't hear anything, that they don't really know what to do next. Right. So that I- is exactly... Yeah, that's that's the call. That's the whole like let's rubber neck at an accident and who's going to call? I thought you were calling the police. Yes, no, I thought yeah. I called the ambulance. I think I read about that in the in the book Freakonomics. Is that right? Uh, the, yes. the there's 50 people that live in an apartment building and they hear a gunshot and everyone thinks that someone else is going to call the police, so no one does. That that's the bystander effect. Essentially, yes. Okay, so what we're dealing with here then is if you are a very rich politician uh, who has everything that they could possibly want and, you know, every all of the world's luxuries at your disposal, but maybe also the ability to uh, solve a lot of the world's problems, there's no need for you to solve those problems because essentially those problems will take care of themselves and they won't be problems in the future if we extrapolate far enough out. Um, uh, that's exactly what, that's what this is, right? 
Yes, exactly. Your role, if you're in that position, is to provide money to promising researchers who will essentially help make you immortal by uploading your mind to these machines. And in case of an actual literal apocalypse, to do something to help. But anything that, but anything different than that, it really, you you don't really need to do anything because, yeah, it there, there's not a lot of sense. There's not a lot of sense to it, but you, but you see why it would be really attractive if you absolutely spend a lot of money and you don't want to spend it and you don't really want to waste your time helping people, or at least that's how you think of it as as, as wasting time helping people. Right, and um, it would it would free you from any sort of feelings of guilt or or uh, any burden, any any feelings of burden to try to help the poor or to end world hunger or to stop climate change, all of that, you're free from the worry of that now. You don't have to deal with that because it's not going to matter anyway. Yeah, exactly. The, the billions who will die now, they won't matter. And then the trillions who will live and quadrillions who will live a million years from now when you are a brain in the jar will thank you for being such a wonderful industrialist to help power the world to that level of, you know, meta manufacturing. Uh, right. Of course, all of this, of course, all of this really rests on, on these, these very kind of ridiculous ideas about computer science. Um, you know, it's, I work with computers all the time. I can tell you right now that if you think that you're ever going to be able to upload your mind to a machine, you're not because they're not compatible systems. People are, people kind of go by the stereotype of, you know, the brain is whatever is the most advanced machine at the time, but the reality is a lot messier and a lot more complicated. um, And our minds don't actually work like computers. They, they, they do kind of their own thing. There may be some parallels if you really, really struggle to try and fit an analogy. But there's people who run with that analogy and kind of like the world of speculative computer science and transhumanism and singularitarianism and all these ideologies that came from this pop culture understanding of computer science are full of people who write very dense and very complicated and very convoluted ideological treatises that kind of culminate in something similar to long-termism. And when you actually look at it from the standpoint of, you know, I, I actually like study this, I actually do this, I actually work with this. Um, you, you just, you're just left scratching your head because these are people who are just like concocting problems out of nowhere, solve them and present them as these grand solutions to our future. But they very seldom have anything to do with the reality. And when you call them out on it, um, they, they are very unhappy that you did that and essentially try and tell you to, you know, well, you need to be more open-minded and you need to read more of the millions of pages of my work. But that's, you know, that's kind of like saying, you know, if you don't trust my the executive summary of my manifesto, you should read the whole thing. I spent a really long time in the woods on the typewriter. I mean, it. it I, I really think I did a great job. Um, and I, I honestly don't really want to do that after after diving into a few of these things. But again, this is kind of the harm of this stuff. Right. When people who want to believe it, who want to hear that they no longer have obligation to their fellow humans. They don't need to be part of a society. They don't actually need to participate in making sure that all these trillions of people who they think are going to be born billions of years from now actually are born and lead like a good, high quality life. It frees them to kind of do their own thing. So, so really, you know, when it comes to calling it a religion, I'm using a bit of a poetic license, but really sure. it's more of a, 
it, it really it's more of a, it's more of a good excuse. It's kind of like trickle down economics. Econom, economists have studied all over the world. They find that it doesn't actually do anything, right? Uh, except for pile more money into the pockets of the very wealthy because they no longer have to pay the taxes they used to be able to pay, and nothing else. But why do people believe it? Because a very useful crank named Art Laffer drew a really nice curve on a napkin that people really, that certain wealthy and powerful people really liked and said, okay, this is what we're going to do. It doesn't matter that it doesn't make sense. We're going to make money from this. So who ultimately cares whether it's true or not? Yeah. And I think it's really the same thing with long-termism. Long-termism is like, it's, it's basically trickle-down economics for the sci-fi fan with a billion dollars in the bank. But, I mean, what a depressing way to go through life and to look at the world. You know, I think, for example, and I, I guess I'm trying to assume that these people who are adhering to this idea are thinking the same way that I think and feeling the same way that I feel. And that's probably my first mistake because they wouldn't adhere to these same ideals, right? Of, hey, this person or this group of people is suffering and I feel a responsibility to help them. And if I do, then I feel better. I'm making the world a better place. We're all citizens of the world together. But intellectually, I... I see so many issues with this as well. And I suppose it goes down, it boils down to this idea that, you know, if you want to believe it, you're going to believe it. But, okay, so we're, we're extrapolating way down the line, like millions of years down the line. So let's, let's assume that that's the case. Even though I agree with you, we'll never be able to interface the mind with computers. And man, do I want to talk about that with you. But I want to stick on this for a second. If we extrapolate a million years down the line where we're all, the brain is uploaded to a chip or whatever it is, that's a long timeline. So they say we don't need to deal with things like climate change. Well, even in the last year, the difference that climate change has made to our world is way more than we thought it was. The timeline of climate change is moving at a far more rapid pace than we initially thought that it, it would move at. So what happens if climate change brings about the end of the world before we're able to upload all of our brains to the mainframe? That is a question that you need to ask them. I'm like, I'm right here with you. Now, I do need, I do want to make a tiny little annoying correction because I am the, I am the pedant. Yeah, the, of course. The pedant of the hour. Here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, we actually, Shane and I did a segment where we talked about how our minds will be able to interface with computers. So there's a good possibility that we would actually be able to do that millions of years from now. Just not, you know, we won't, okay. we won't exist as digital, as digital things. But even if we do exist as digital things, there's a question of if we don't solve climate change, where's all the energy that's going to power all of these cyborg technologies and all of these new computers going to come from? And are we actually going to have to go from planet to planet, destroying the hell out of it to power essentially ourselves and keep ourselves alive? Like all of these questions are very conveniently ignored under this umbrella right. of Eventually, we will just figure it out, and that's—I think—that's really the—that's really the thing. The reason, though, why it kind of caught my eye is because, again, we we are seeing, especially during the pandemic, we're seeing this this enormous amount of of just not just inequality in terms of in terms of wealth and outcomes and and how affected we are 
by pandemics, by severe weather. You know, nature is still very much in charge on, on planet Earth. Uh, but there's also this this incredible disconnect mentally between the people who ostensibly run things and have all the money and the people who actually have to live in the world. Um, and you have, on the one hand, you have people who are struggling to keep a roof on, over their heads and their electricity on. And the people who influence government policy are planning to colonize Proxima Centauri, even though that's not even anywhere near the next couple lifetimes that we can even travel, think of traveling to a different star. So, so they have these, these very elaborate sci-fi dreams that they're following, and they're very much either willfully enmeshed into them or they're in that level of denial where they think that they can just buy immortality because someone told them that they could because they really want to. And that's, and that's the disturbing part. You know, you have, you have the, when the people in charge start believing their own nonsense and start treating science fiction as fact, the rest of us kind of have to scratch our heads and go, are we doomed? Because we seem to be being, we seem to be um, being ruled by crazy idiots. It it feels very black mirror to me, you know, like one of these things that, that I suppose is possible. And I, I, based on our conversation, I can see how somebody who is rich and uh, completely self-serving, would want to believe in a theory like this. I can see how somebody would, but on a human level, I just don't get how you can ignore the suffering of people and say that that doesn't matter, that, that what matters to you is more important than what matters to them. That's the biggest, that's what I feel if I'm understanding this right is the disconnect here that your love for your family is more important than my love for my family or you know, that this idea that you can't possibly uh, do enough to stop climate change, we can't do enough to make a difference, we can't do enough to uh, shift wealth inequality to make a difference. We'll ask anybody who has uh, been helped by, you know, uh, CERB payments. It makes a difference. Those things make a difference to all of us. And I'm totally not trying to, like, uh, boil this down into, uh, hey, help each other, really nice message. But that that is sort of how I feel about it. And, man, I really want to get to the... It, if we have a like couple of quick minutes here. So you did mention about the brain, like the mind computer interface thing. So I know we're kind of going off topic here, but Elon Musk has talked about this Neuralink thing. Can you speak to that, Greg? Like you're like, no way that's never going to happen. Right? Like not in my lifetime. No, it can. No, that actually, that's the thing. They can absolutely happen. But the stuff that he's promising to do with Neuralink is nothing that's actually new. It's more like he's taking stuff that, that, doctors have been experimenting with the last 20 years and saying, I want to make this a mainstream product to which doctors are saying, we're not quite sure it's going to be as safe as and as effective as you think. You're kind of oversimplifying things, but is it going to work? Yeah. Have we done it in the lab? Absolutely. We just don't know how, for how many years this will actually work because the problem is we, we haven't found the material that the body doesn't wrap around in collagen, reducing its effectiveness and kind of isolating from the rest of the body. Right. So that's really the, that's really the task. If we can figure out how to really make it a part of the body, 
then it will be great uh, and it will work. But right now, we're we're still a little bit away from long-term effectiveness. Sure. See, I need a voice like yours in my life, Greg, because as soon as I heard about the Neuralink, I was like, I was like, sign me up. I was putting my hand up, plug me in, upload Kung Fu, teach me everything I need to know, like Johnny Mnemonic, plug me in and give it to me. But uh, it obviously sounds a lot uh, more complicated than that. Uh, thanks so much for joining us tonight and helping us unpack a lot of this stuff. Always a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.